Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the boundaries of the land as we pick up in Numbers chapter 34, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, the uppermost area in the upper Hula Valley near where the Jordan River begins, it's or coming out of the Mount Hermon there, was where the city of Dan was built. Dan occupied the northernmost part of the Hula Valley. And then coming on down around the Sea of Galilee, the tribe of Naphtali. And you can get a good Bible map and you can see how the tribes were apportioned in the land, but the boundaries of the land are given to us here in chapter 34. This is the land that God had promised to Abraham. And this is the land that now belonged to these people. It was theirs. God had given it to them. There was only one thing. They had to go in and take it. They had to go in and possess it. Even as God has given to you so many rich and precious promises, and all you have to do is step in and claim them. Just go in and take that which God has promised to you by faith. So the heads of the tribes are listed again in the latter portion of the chapter. As we get into chapter 35, it describes the cities of refuge that they were to establish. Verse 2, command the children of Israel that they give to the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in, and you shall give unto them also suburbs of the cities round about them. And the cities that they shall have to dwell in and the suburbs of them shall be for their cattle and their goods and for their beasts. So the city itself and then extending out from the city a thousand cubits for their farm area and then out another 2,000 cubits for their cattle. These were the suburbs of the city and 48 of these cities were to be given to the Levites. They were not to get any, any huge chunks of land nor were the families given portions of land. The Levites received no inheritance. God said, I am their inheritance. They got the best deal. The rest of the people got a property. The Levites got the Lord as their inheritance. And so they were given these 42 cities to live in and the suburbs around the city to graze their cattle and to grow their crops and so forth. 42 cities given to the Levites. Now among the 42 cities, There were to be six cities that were appointed as cities of refuge. Three on either side of the Jordan River. Placed strategically through the land so that no matter where you were living in the land, you were never more than a half day's run from the city of refuge. Now, the purpose of the city of refuge was to take care of a cultural practice that was deeply ingrained within the people. 
You know, one of the hardest things to become free of is tradition. There are certain cultural things that are so deeply embedded in our, in our whole thinking processes that they are the hardest things in the world to root out. And I can give you one offensive illustration. Christmas is a pagan holiday. It has nothing to do with the birthday of Jesus Christ in its original forms. They celebrated Christmas long before Jesus ever came along. They called it by a different name. The Romans called it Saturnalia, but it is, you can trace its origin clear on back to Nimrod shortly after the time of Noah. The decking of trees, all of the customs are not Christian in origin at all. And yet to suggest that we abandon the celebration of this pagan holiday would bring great incense and censure from the church. You mean not going to celebrate Christmas because it's so deeply embedded in our whole traditional patterns. We hold on to it, though we recognize that it is becoming more paganized all the time. How many people really honor Jesus Christ on Christmas? If it, it was his birthday, it isn't, but if it was his birthday. How many are truly honoring Christ? As we look at the celebration, the police department have to put on extra duty. All of the reserves are called in. Why? Because there are going to be so many drunks on the road. People going home from the Christmas party. We've been celebrating Jesus is born. <laughs> and yet we find extreme difficulty in trying to divorce ourselves from it because it's so much a part of our culture. Tradition. The hardest things in the world to root out. And so God, rather than seeking to root out totally the tradition, though he wasn't in favor of it, placed restrictions upon it. And to these people, a part of their cultural process was revenge killing. That was just a part of their whole culture. If a member of your family was killed by someone else, you were honor-bound to kill him. You owed it to your dead relative. The honor of the family is at stake. And you must pursue him until you find him and put him to death, and the family honor cannot be maintained until his blood has been spilt. And if you're the oldest son in the house, then you become the avenger of blood, and it's your duty, your family duty, to avenge the blood of your dead brother or sister or mother or father. And this idea of revenge killing was deeply embedded in their whole cultural process. Now, 
In some cases, the killing was totally accidental. There was no malice. There was no anger. There was no premeditation. It was just an accident. But this idea of revenge killing was so deep that even though it was an accident, the avenger of blood was prone to catch the guy and kill him anyhow. I didn't mean to do it. It was just an accident, friend. I didn't, I, you know, you had it anyhow. They had no mercy. It's honor. It's duty. I've got to kill you. So in order to modify this deeply ingrained practice, God established the cities of refuge so that if you by accident should kill someone, you could flee to the city of refuge. And if you could get to the city of refuge before the avenger caught up with you, if you could come within the borders of the city, you were safe. He could not come into the city to take your life. And the Levites, it was the city of the Levites, the Levites would shelter you and protect you. And they would guarantee your opportunity to have a free trial and a fair trial. Now, unless you got to the city, you didn't have a fair trial at all. It was the, it was the law of vengeance and revenge, and they, they would catch you and kill you. So you had to flee to the city of refuge. There, you would have a fair trial. Now, if it could be proved that it was not an accident, that you had been planning it, that you had hatred and animosity, and it was a, it, it could be proved that it was an action, that it was done in anger, malice on your part, then you were delivered from the city of refuge and the avenger put you to death. But if you could show that it was purely an accident, you had no intention of doing it, it was just an accident, then you could remain in the city of refuge and they could not touch you, you would then live in the city of refuge. And as long as you stayed in the city of refuge, you were protected. But if you should leave the city of refuge, then if the avenger would catch you, he would put you to death. You were only safe as long as you stayed within the borders of that city of refuge. There was another provision because man needs hope. And living in a city can feel like living in a prison. And you could soon despair. I'm away from my family. I want to be home and all, and I'm never going to go home again. So there was another provision to give hope for that person, and that is if the high priest should die, then you were freed and you could go home. God was making these options and all because really he was opposed to the whole practice of revenge killing. But it was so deeply ingrained in their culture, he then created the limitations and loopholes for the innocent parties that became then a part of the tradition and the culture of the people. I believe that God 
is not incensed or angry if you celebrate Christmas, if you have a Christmas tree. I thank God that I have great liberty in Jesus Christ. And when we celebrate Christmas, we're not thinking of Tammuz or Nimrod or Semiramis or the pagan gods that are usually celebrated, nor Saturn, nor the sun. I think that it is good to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And inasmuch as we don't know when Jesus was born, it really doesn't matter which day you might set aside to celebrate his birth. The date itself isn't important. But I thank God that I have that freedom to celebrate with the family a day of giving, a day of expressions of love. But I'm also thankful that I have the freedom not to enter into certain pagan aspects of the holiday if I don't want to. It's great to have freedom in Christ. <laughs> I'm free to have a tree or I'm free not to have a tree. And it doesn't condemn me if I have one and it doesn't make me more righteous if I don't have one. But these things are tradition. They become deeply embedded in our whole family culture processes. And God understands how deeply embedded they're in and so he just, you know, makes the rules whereby oftentimes he modifies some of the poorer aspects of those practices. So where traditionally Christmas is a time for getting drunk, the Lord modifies that and he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, be filled with the Spirit. And teaches us moderation in all things. So here God deals with a cultural practice, modifying it, bringing it within borders, within limitations, providing for the innocent. And yet the murderer was in no way to be set free they were not to actually put to death a man with one witness. There had to be at least two witnesses. They could not take the testimony of one witness and put a man to death. In the mouth of two witnesses, at least, it had to be established. Then, if it was established, they were not to take any ransom for the guilty. In other words, he was not to be able to buy his way out. Thus, the guilty were to be put to death and the land would be freed from pollution. Now, we've got a lot of sociologists today that say that the death penalty is no deterrent against crime. It's a horrible thing to put men to death and all of this kind of stuff. And so what has happened? We say the law of God really isn't valid. It really isn't good. When our, with our social sciences, we know much better than the law of God. And we're able to establish laws that are superior to the law of God. How would you describe our land today? Pretty polluted, isn't it? 
That's what God said he established it for, so the land wouldn't be polluted. And we have found out that rather than knowing better than God, he knew best, but we're gone so deep into it, there seems to be now no way out. Now in chapter 36, these daughters of Zelophehad, the guy had seven daughters, no sons, and they said, hey, it isn't fair that we don't get an inheritance in the land just because there are no boys in the family. Our family should have an inheritance just like everybody else, and thus the girls ought to be able to have an inheritance just as much as the boys. Moses took it before the Lord, and he says, those girls are right. You know, they shouldn't be cut off just because they're girls, so give them the inheritance too within the land. When you come to the land, the, the, those girls are to get an inheritance in the land. Well, they were from the tribe of Judah. And some of the other fellows in the tribe of Judah came to Moses and they said, now look, this thing could create some real problems. What if these girls marry guys from, say, the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of, of, of Manasseh and all? Then, after the year of Jubilee, when everything reverts back to the original ownership, it means that the part that is allotted to Judah will also be given partially to Manasseh or to these other tribes that these girls have married into. So they could get into all kinds of trouble. Our portion could be divided out to, to other tribes because these gals want an inheritance here. So Moses said, all right, this is a rule. The girls, the daughters of Zelophehad, they have to marry fellows from the tribe of Judah. Otherwise, they don't get their inheritance. And so all the girls married guys from the tribe of Judah rather than marrying outside of the tribes. And that became the law of the land. When the inheritance went to a girl, in order to have the inheritance, she had to marry within the tribe that she was from so that there wouldn't be dividing of the lands between the tribes, but they all, the tribes had their definite de defined borders and, and there wouldn't be a, a, a mixing up of the land by marriages and so forth. So whenever the girls inherited the land, then it was necessary for those girls to marry someone from that tribe in order to keep the inheritance of the land. Otherwise, it was, was to be given away to those of the tribe so that the land would not, the borders within the land would not become all confused. Now these are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. So this is the end of the road for Moses. He's brought them as far as he can. These are the commandments. And now Moses is to lay down the rulership and Joshua is to take over to lead the people into the promised land. But now as we go into the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means the second law, and so it is sort of a summation of that which we have gone through in Deuteronomy, just a sort of a summation now, 
and we're going to go rapidly through uh, the things pretty much that we've already covered as we go through the second law of the book of Deuteronomy. Then we come back to this same point at the end of Deuteronomy. We're at this same point of history that we are right here. So you think, in, you see, in our minds, traditionally, we think chronological order. You know, because the Deuteron book of Deuteronomy follows numbers that it took place after numbers. But uh, the Bible doesn't always follow the culture or tradition of the Western mind. Quite often the Bible lays out a whole scene and then it comes back and fills in the, the details. That's why people oftentimes have difficulty with the book of Revelation because it doesn't always follow a set chronological order like we're used to thinking of in, in our own Western minds. And so Deuteronomy, we're, we're going to now jump back and, and come back through it again very rapidly. And then when we get into Joshua, we then start moving ahead in a chronological order again. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order numbers 34 through 36 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord help you to assimilate that which we have studied and may he bring to your remembrance those things which he has commanded and may you be enriched in the knowledge of God and his will and his plan for your life may the Lord be with you to bless you to guide you and may you be kept by that power of God through faith and trust in him in Jesus name This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled A Memoir of Grace. 
you're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll free at 1-800-272-WORD.